0: This week in San Antonio, I was driving down the highway and there was this electric billboard advertising a health and wellness event. How the times have changed. I remember when if you drove across the United States, every stop, every little city would have a greasy spoon restaurant along the way. Perhaps you can also remember when fast food restaurants only served fat-laden choices. But today, the greasy spoon restaurants are largely gone, and fast food restaurants often... Offer healthier choices such as salads. And as part of our health consciousness, periodically we go to the doctor's office. And the doctor begins evaluating our health by seeking answers to some standard diagnostic questions. And the assistant will assist with this. It's a routine, and we know it. Stand on the scale. Put out your arm. And what the doctor is wanting to see is Has your weight dramatically changed? What's the heart rate? What's the blood pressure? And and here are some basic things to begin evaluating health. Answers to such questions can be indicators or signs about the status of our health. Now, if we think of the New Testament letters to the churches, As being a doctor's report on their spiritual health, the spiritual health of a congregation, sadly, a number of those churches were not very healthy. Some believe that the letter to the church at Rome was intended in part or perhaps entirely to address the problem of tensions and and a judgmental attitude between Jewish and Gentile Christians. Paul is going to spend so much time talking about God's righteousness and and how that relates to the Jew and to the Gentile. And he winds up speaking about how God is merciful to both the Jew and the Gentile. One cannot look down on the other. And we come to chapter 15 and verses 5 to 7 where Paul encourages unity and he commands the church to accept one another. Another to the churches of Galatia. Paul would write, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are following a different gospel. Here's a church, here are churches that are hemorrhaging. From uh, Galatians chapter 5 we learn that already some have fallen away from faith. Some have fallen away from grace. And Paul is trying to rescue Churches that are at the crossroads to the church at Philippi. Paul issued a public exhortation to two sisters in the Lord to get along with each other. And furthermore, the whole letter pulsates with the command to rejoice. And they're to rejoice even in the midst of difficulties. They've got relationship problems within. They've got opposition on the outside. But they are commanded to rejoice because the attitude of Christ, if they will embrace this mindset, this mindset characterized by love, it can reorient how they are living and cause them to shine like stars in the universe. But the point is, the church at Philippi is dealing with some problems, both within as well as those on the outside who opposed them. How does Paul describe the church at Corinth? We can be grateful that he writes to them that they are the church of God in Corinth. But although he describes them this way, he also says, I could not speak to you as spiritual people. But instead, as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, we know the, the, the first and second Corinthians, the Paul, the letters that Paul wrote to them and, and the, the, just the list of the problems that they have. There's people who, although they've been blessed with gifts, they've become all puffed up and they're looking down on other people and they're thinking that this is some sort of a spiritual measurement, that they're better than others. There, there are people who have some knowledge and understanding about some things that are true, but they don't fully understand. But the knowledge that they do have is causing them to run roughshod over their brothers. And so Paul needs to teach them about love. And then Paul's going to say, you know, your assemblies do more harm than good. No, no, the church at Corinth is a church that was dealing with some problems and, and the spiritual health of that church was not particularly high. And so as we look at some of these churches in in the New Testament, we find that the doctor's report is not particularly shining. But in contrast to all of this, the signs of health and vitality jump out at us from 1 Thessalonians. There, there's no desperation in this letter to resolve some crisis of faith. There's no need to correct some doctrine that's misunderstood or dramatically alter faulty attitudes or behavior. But rather we find the apostle continually reaffirming and repeating his con- commendation of them. And so, for example, chapter one, verse six, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. When you receive the message with joy that comes from the Holy Spirit despite great affliction. Yes, they had responded to the Lord. And in spite of the situation and the affliction that was there, they had responded. But he says, You've become imitators of us. Now, to the church at Corinth, he's going to teach them and encourage them to become imitators. But he's, to the Thessalonians, he says, You have become imitators. Of us. Verse 7. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. When you want to know what a church looks like that's doing good, an example to the believers, Paul says, you look at Thessalonica, and you're an example to all the others what you need to look like. What Christians need to look like. Chapter 3, verse 9. How can we thank God enough for you? For all the joy we feel because of you before our God. Chapter four, verse one. We ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received instruction from us about how you must live and please God, as you are in fact living, that you do so more and more. Yeah, these are the instructions, but you're already doing it. Just keep it up. Do it more and more. In other words, here's a pat on the back. Keep it up. Good job, church. As Kurt Nickum remarked several years ago in our Wednesday night series, 1 Thessalonians reveals what a healthy church looks like. What caused this church to stand apart? That's what I like to know. What caused this church to be different than those others? Paul will commend this church in several areas. And just like answering those physical questions like what's the blood pressure and and what's our heart rate and how those questions can indicate something about our physical health. First Thessalonians suggests some questions identifying spiritual health. To be sure, the vitality of a congregation rests upon much more than just these three questions we'll look at tonight. But certainly these three are fundamental The first one, 1 Thessalonians tells us that this church had gotten off to a healthy start. You turned from idols to the living God. Now this involved more than merely swapping out stone images and replacing that with the true God. The first question is, has conversion Reoriented life. Robert Grant, in his book, Gods and the One God, reminds us that the common man served the Greco Roman gods to protect his property, while the kings relied upon them to protect their thrones. But there's this basic idea behind this you serve these gods to get what you want, it's really quite self centered. In fact, idolatry is a very self-centered way to live. Somebody's wanting protection or help in a particular area. So that person identifies the, the God or the idol that will help with that situation. He help is needed in another area. Well, go find the appropriate source, the appropriate, sou- the appropriate power, that idol to help with that additional area. In fact, the nature of idolatry lends itself to serving a whole pantheon of gods. A whole pantheon of idols. Because there's always room for just one more. One more way to cover the bases to make sure that I'm okay. Because I'm in charge and I want this and I want that. Remember Acts 17? Athens? Athens? Here we find the very nature of idolatry in full bloom. Paul's walking through Athens and he comes across an altar that says to the unknown God. And so what are the Athenians doing? They're trying to cover all of their bases and every possible source that can take care of them. And so, we can add one more, even to this unknown God, whatever one we may have missed, because we want the protection, we want the help, we want the assistance that these power sources can give us. We want what they can do for us. So let's make sure that we don't miss one. Because we need more. Who's in charge with idolatry? I am. Because I'm pursuing the life I want by serving those sources that will satisfy my desires, my wants, my security. If we understand the nature of idolatry and how I'm in charge and I am trying to get what I want by serving whatever it is that's going to give me what I want, we should not be surprised at all by Paul's statement, greed, which is idolatry. He speaks of the greedy person as being idolater. See, greed is the self-centered pursuit of my wants, my desires, my security, by trying to obtain more and more of whatever I think it is that's going to take care of those things. Greed and idolatry function in the exact same way. In fact, Paul says greed is idolatry. To genuinely serve God, on the other hand, is fundamentally different It's a different way to live because we are no longer in control of our lives. I'm not the one in charge anymore. Remember what Jesus said. He said, as Mark pointed out this morning, if anyone wants to become my follower, he must deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Here's a fundamentally different way to live life. The disciple, the one who follows Jesus, the Christian, is one who is going to die himself, deny himself. He's no longer in charge. In fact, Jesus says, if you try to save your life, if you try to go after this, 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 and this, and this, and take care of it all and save yourself, you're going to lose it. It's engaged in idolatry, if you will. But if you throw it away, if you give your life away and you're no longer the one in charge of it, you'll save it. You've got to die to yourself. Idolatry is fundamentally different than serving God. The Apostle Paul did not view conversion as just getting saved. He understood That coming to Christ involves dying to an old way of life, dying to self, that we might begin to live for God. Whether that takes us through difficult times, whether that takes us through times of plenty. Regardless of how, how it falls out to serve God means he's in control and he is directing the way. God is not simply a new idol and I'm in charge. He's in charge. And I'm serving him. And so Paul will write in Romans chapter six, as he describes this, this moment of transformation, he says, we know that our old man was crucified with him so that the body of sin would no longer dominate us. Yeah, that old person has to die. I have to die if I'm going to be a servant of Christ. He goes on as he's speaking about baptism in this moment in which one is buried with Christ and dies with Christ and then is raised up to a new life. He goes on to say in chapter six and verse 13 to Christians who have been raised with Christ, present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead and your members to God as instruments to be used for righteousness. The one in control here of the Christian is God. And and the Christian is his instrument to be used according to God's will. I'm no longer in charge. You see, Paul understood that living for God was fundamentally different than worshiping idols. God is to be in control of the Christian life. And so his statement about the Thessalonians, you turn from idols to the living God reveals much more than simply swapping out idols for a new source of power to serve them. No, their lives have been fundamentally changed. And how these Thessalonians were going to live was now in a new way. They were the servants of the Master. Society had told the Thessalonians... No, you must devote yourself to all, to serving all these various self-serving sources of power. And they'd responded, no. God is worthy of devotion. We give our lives to Him. And it does not matter the situation, the circumstances that serving God takes us. Because we're doing His will. A very different way to live. Like a strong heartbeat, a church where conversion has reoriented how life is lived is one sign of a healthy church. As we look at this letter to the Thessalonians, a a second characteristic of that church jumps out with us, suggesting a sign of a healthy church. It, It can be formed in the Diagnostic question, do obstacles prevail or does serving God prevail? Immediately upon becoming Christians, this church had suffered a major attack. Paul is writing very shortly after the church had been established there in Thessalonica. He's gone from Thessalonica. He's, down, he's gone down to Athens. He's not in Athens that long before you move on to Corinth. He's now writing back to the church at Thessalonica to check up and see how they're doing. And in this short period of time since he's left Thessalonica, his descriptions of what they've gone through are dramatic. He says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. It was in the, in the midst of, of trial that you receive this word. And they knew it was coming. Paul had just come from Philippi. And in Philippi, that's where he cast out the the demon from the girl. And then he was beaten and thrown into prison. And then ushered on out of the city. And so here comes Paul from Philippi. He's been beaten, and the Romans know how to beat Who's this man in our city who has been beaten up so badly? Well, let me tell you about the one I'm serving and why I've been beaten. And it's not long before problems break out there, too. From Acts 17, we learn that some Jews organized a riot to go after Paul. They went to where he was staying, Jason's house. They didn't find Paul there. So they grabbed Jason. They grabbed some other Christians Jason will end up posting Bond, promising that Paul's not going to make any problems, and Paul and Silas will leave that night. It cost the Thessalonian Christians to receive the word. Their choice to follow Jesus involved and would involve suffering. First Thessalonians 2:14, Paul says, "You endured sufferings at the hands of your own countrymen." It's not been that long since he was there. But already they've endured sufferings at the hands of their own countrymen. We don't have the details. But the reason why Paul is writing this letter in such glowing terms is because they have continued to serve in spite of the trials. First Thessalonians chapter 3. Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. Timothy's gone up to Thessalonica. He's, he's returned to Paul and said, yes, they're hanging in there. <laughs> they're standing firm in the faith. Things have been rough, but their faith is strong. In fact, they have good memories of the time that you were with them. I remember you fondly. Tribulations had come. Faith had been tested. The depth of their Christian motivation was revealed. They had faced hard questions. Am I only here for what I can get out of it? Or am I devoted to living for God the rest of my life wherever I go? And the verdict, you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For from you the message of the Lord has echoed forth not just in Macedonia and in Achaia, But in every place, reports of your faith in God have spread so that we don't need to say anything. The enemy wants to shut down Christian faith and work. Remember the parable that Jesus told? The, The parable of the sower? It illustrates the obstacles that stand between overcoming. We're just staying where one is and succumbing. Remember the rocky soil? The, the Word falls and it gets a start and a and Christian life begins. But there's persecution. There's hardship because of the Word. And because the soil is rocky, it's shallow, the plant does not thrive and endure. The Thessalonian church, they weren't rocky soil because the persecution, the difficulties came, but they were still thriving. Remember the weeds. Again, the the word takes root and and a plant comes up. But it's not healthy. It doesn't thrive. No, it's the cares of the world. it's, It's just troubles of life and... All those things that can distract and get one's focus off of what's important and where we're headed and what we're supposed to be doing, that takes all of the energy. And the plant does not thrive or produce. (laughs) The Thessalonian church was not weedy soil because they had thrived and were producing. You see, we too also face obstacles in living for God. One of them is that incessant and insistent societal pressure to be silent about our faith. A Christian who has not first abandoned various forms of serving self may find it difficult to resist the temptation to offer a little incense of I'll just be quiet on the altar if I want to be accepted. There will always be something that will try to dampen ministry to try to squelch serving God's will, try to prevent God's people from being the light that God wants them to be but to borrow a phrase from Paul in 1 Thessalonians 3, God can strengthen our hearts to be God's holy people as we continue to encourage each other pray for each other and keep our eyes on the one whom we are serving the third question Suggested by looking at the Thessalonian church is our faith, love and hope being expressed. We thank God always for all of you, as we mention your, you constantly in our prayers, because we recall in the presence of our God and father, your work of faith and labor of love and endurance of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. When I lived in California, I remember one night, very late at night, around 11 o'clock, receiving a phone call. And on the other end of the phone, a lady told me that a family member probably did not have much time left. This retired maintenance man was passing away. When I arrived at the house, the whole family was gathering at this house. The nurse had told them time was short. He was resting peacefully. But as the hours went by, his vital signs were slowly slipping away. And physically, he was dying. When an organism is healthy, There's a lot of activity. There's a lot of things going on. But when the vital signs slow down, as his were that night, it's dying. How tragic it is when the vital signs that belong to a church grow weak. The Thessalonian church was a healthy one. Their faith and love were being expressed in ministry. Their hope in the Lord was evident by their continuing endurance in in how they lived and what they were looking forward to and and what they were saying in their communication and behavior. To go back to that story of the retired maintenance man who was passing away that night, it's not a tragic story at all. Sure, his physical body was growing weaker, But his spiritual vital signs had been strong for decades. In fact, the reason he had suffered a heart attack and had some additional complications was because he was determined to love people and to live out his faith in Christ and God. He had suffered a massive heart attack because he was out struggling, to, or he was out helping a struggling single mother move one more time to another place. And as he was helping her move, that heart attack came. But when I think of Lloyd Hames, I think of one living out his faith and love. And as I look closer to home, to here, just as Paul was grateful for the church at Thessalonica, I am grateful for this congregation. There are so many ways that our church family is living out the faith and laboring in love while we wait for the return of our Lord. I don't know the exact number of ministries here. It's about 40 different ways. That this congregation is at work to encourage to build up and in some way help other people one of those ministries this afternoon uh, we, we saw with the open uh, the care cottage open house and if you didn 't get to go at five o 'clock and, and see that ministry it encourage you to go afterwards they 'll be open again for um, whatever time those want to pass by but here 's one of those ministries that we have and, and it 's how we 're trying to help some of the physical needs of the community in providing them food, in providing clothing, and the, and the donations, the, the clothing donations that you make and, and the contributions that you give go to support this ministry, to make a difference in this community and to do it in the name of Christ. If you will, give that cup of cold water in the name of Christ. If you haven't been over there, I would encourage you to go and and look at all that this ministry is doing. As we look at 1 Thessalonians, we're confronted with a healthy church. And I so enjoy healthy examples because they inspire me. They encourage me. And they can say, here is what is possible. And so I, I love reading about this church at Thessalonica. One reason the early church at Thessalonica stood apart from some of the other New Testament churches is because of how it could answer these three questions. Has conversion reoriented life? And the answer was yes. Do obstacles prevail? Or does serving God prevail? Serving God prevails. Are faith, love, and hope being expressed? Yes. Yes. There are more vital signs of health than just these, but these are certainly some of the fundamental ones. God calls us to reorient our lives, to live for Him, to not live for ourselves. Perhaps this evening someone has not yet taken that step. We're called to give our lives to the Lord, to rely on the one who has died for us, trust in Him. And we begin this life of trust by being buried with Him in baptism where we die and where God transforms us and He and His power makes us alive raising us up with Christ to live a new life as His workmanship and as people who are going to live for God. If someone has not yet taken the step and is ready to change how life is lived, to live for God, and to begin in the way the Gospel describes, why not come tonight while we stand and sing. I am weak but Thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I walk